And so here, yet again, the, the question is identity. Who am I and so who are we? You know the answer? Okay, so today we'll be talking about we are children of God. We've talked about how we've been lavishly loved, how we've been forgiven, been extended the opportunity to be forgiven. And we've talked about how God created us and how God fashioned us and how God crowned us with glory and honor. And He's done that for all people and how He watches over and cares for all people. All right, so uh, lots of things used to identify ourselves, but we want to say the things over us that God is saying. Uh, so help me out a little bit. Have you ever defined yourself by something you've done in the past? You know, I am a, you know, and it, people could say of you, you know, for me I could say, well, I'm a basketball player. Or you played basketball. Okay, that, that's true. Make sure you put the ED on the word play, right? Because those days are gone. And so that past could define me, and I could kind of live in light of that. Like, that's who I am, but that's not really who I am. You know, maybe there's something in your past that was sinful or something that was really regrettable, and you've kind of let that have power over who you are today, right? Our sin has a way of doing that, or our past has a way of doing that, or sometimes we let other people just define us, right? And so if somebody says of you, you're kind, you walk around and go, well, I'm kind because so-and-so said so, or I'm wise, and I'm wise because so-and-so said so, or I'm rude because so-and-so said so. So sometimes, I mean, words have power, don't they? They have power to speak over us and to define who we are. And so I could be defined by my past sin, or I could be defined by the title pastor. Just so you know, that title doesn't define me. Or I could be whatever you think of me. And if I let that have power over me, I'm going to live kind of in this little microscope that is not God's way of defining who I am. Uh, so we're going to look a little bit deeper, right? We always want to say what God says over us. So if God doesn't call me something, I'm not going to call me that something, right? Nothing wrong with some of the little titles we have here, uh, but if they are the titles that define who we are, how we live our life, then it's going to cause problems. Uh, so we see this often with people who are addicts. And I don't know if you've ever been to like a, um, an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting or had somebody in your family who's been addicted to some sort of drug, something of that nature. Anybody ever been addicted? Okay. Addicted to food? Yeah, we've been addicted to all sorts of stuff. Most of us are nicotine or caffeine, uh, food, um, to our bed or our lazy boy. Or we've been addicted to maybe the pleasure, pursuit of pleasure, to our hobby or to the applause of people. Everybody has an addiction of some sort. So usually we think of addiction like, you know, drugs or alcohol, but everybody struggles with addiction to some degree. Um, but typically, from people I've spoke with and what you've heard before is that when somebody goes to a meeting like that, they'll introduce themselves by saying, you know, hello, my name is so-and-so. So I'd say, hello, my name is Corey Penn, and I am a and then I'd fill in the blank, right? And so here this morning, I want to share just a story with you of, of a young guy who was defined by something other than what God said of him. And just to set this up, there's a guy named Matthew West who was a songwriter-singer, and he wrote an album that was all about the stories of people. 
So he asked people to submit your story to me of how God changed your life. And he took these stories and he just wrote songs about them. So there's this song that's called, Hello, My Name is Child of the One True King. And that song is built directly out of the life of this young guy named Jordan. Jordan's not much unlike many of us here. Uh, grew up in a Christian home, always went to church, um, went to college, you know, was just kind of surrounded by Christian people. Let something other than God identify him or divine him, and it caused all sorts of issues. So let's see if we can't watch this here this morning. And that's how, for a long time, that's how I introduced myself. Jordan went on to say that he wasn't born or raised to become a drug addict. He's the son of a preacher. Suddenly, he went to a Christian college. He was an All-American athlete, track and field and football. But he broke his ankle his sophomore year in college. From that, I had two surgeries on my left ankle, so I got introduced to Oxycontin. You know, I couldn't play sports. I couldn't run track. I couldn't play football. So I found my identity in that thing. Something that I, at the time I thought brought me joy, made me feel a way I'd never felt before. I never, before then I'd never drank, I'd never, I'd never done any drugs, never smoked, never done anything, never took a dip of skull. I would, and I'd never had sex. Until this, when all of a sudden snorting it wasn't good enough. And I got introduced to a needle, having to chase the high 24-7 because Jordan didn't know who Jordan was anymore. The person I used to be. I don't know if I, I didn't think I'd ever ever be able to find him again and I was almost okay and resigned to the fact that that's just who I was going to be for the rest of my life. They kicked me out of school for a year. They put me in, couldn't take no classes, couldn't play no sports for one year. And that night, I was afraid to call my mom and dad. I was afraid to tell them what had happened. And that night, I tried my best to overdose and kill myself, which is, I if I didn't happen. Jordan found himself at Teen Challenge, a year-long addiction recovery program. Mom and Dad get to walk me around and get to see where I'm going to be staying for the next year. I remember walking around to the back of the car and I'm bawling my eyes out, scared to death. And I said, Mom, there's no way you're going to leave me here. You love me more than, that, more than, than this. And to leave me here at this place. And she said, No, I love you too much to take you And they pulled out, and the first, that's the first thing I did, I went in my room, I bawled my eyes out like I am now, and uh, I wrote him a letter. <laughs> and for four months, that's all I got to do was write him a letter. And for four months, through those letters, we mended relationships, and we became a family again. It was there that he discovered what he really needed personal relationship with Christ, and he began to pick up the pieces of his broken life. See, Jordan's story is a story of redemption. He wound up going back to the very college that kicked him out, getting his master's degree from there. I told Dad in, in Teen Challenge, I said, Dad, I'll never run again. I said, you know what, I just feel like sports just really led me to where I was. And he said, no, don't sell God short on his gifts and what he's giving. He's giving you the ability to run very fast. Ran track that whole semester, ran track for that indoor-outdoor season, ran as fast as I've ever ran in my life. Now he's a teacher and coach of the high school he graduated from. He just got engaged, and he's just announced his calling to become a preacher, just like his dad. And this is the way Jordan finished his story. He said, 
I no longer introduce myself as a drug addict, but rather, hello, my name is Gordon, and I'm a child of the one true king. Hello. So we're looking at identity, right? And when we lose our identity, we can find ourselves down a road that is ultimately looking to destroy us. And so Jordan lost his identity. You know, son of a pastor, raised up in the church at a Christian college where he finds drugs and his new identity and everything that was not God-honoring. And uh, it left him with some, some scars, but it also was, was a way that God reach through him. And so I don't know what maybe your struggle is with addiction, if it's pleasure, if it's laziness, if it's just reminding yourself of who you were in the past and what you'll never be in the future, whatever it is that holds us back. Here today, I just want us to look beyond ourselves and look at how God us. Right? So I want to say over you and I want you to say over yourself the things that God says over you. See, the things that we say over ourselves are temporary. I can say I'm a pastor, but I may not always be a pastor. And so what happens when I lose my identity as a pastor? I become like Jordan. Corey wouldn't know who Corey is anymore if Corey's identity was wrapped up in being a pastor. Or your identity could be in a parent. And that could happen. Have children taken away from you where you're no longer a parent to that child. What happens when you lose your identity or when you aren't wrapped up in who God says you are? Well, we just lose our way. And so here we're looking at, I want to say over me what God says over me. No more, no less. And I want to help you be able to do the same thing. So we're getting ready to get into this here in just a minute. One of my daughters is going to pass out something here. Uh, and you can hold on to this here this morning. And maybe throughout this message, you would like to write something down on it. Or maybe by the end of this message, you'd like to write something down on it. Uh, but this is just a reminder today to think of yourself in the ways that God thinks of you, to see yourself the way that God sees you rather than by all the other titles. Husband, father, pastor, teacher, coach, neighbor, brother, son. But I, I'm much more than that. All those things are temporary and they can be taken from me. What cannot and will not be taken from me is the way that God defines me. And so specifically today what we're looking at is seeing ourselves as children of God. And so 1 John chapter 3 is where we're going to be. Uh, if you would like to turn there, that'd be just fine. Uh, we're going to read the first 10 verses out of 1 John 3 as it relates to us understanding what it means to be children of God. And this is one of those texts that just kind of makes it abundantly clear. You know, sometimes you may get to a Bible text and think, well, it could mean this, could mean this. I'm not real sure what it means. And you study it and pray over it. Maybe you still don't understand it fully. Well, when we get to the end of this today, you couldn't make anything more clear than what God has made clear here about His children. Uh, so if you want to follow along here this morning, uh, 1 John chapter 3, let's read. Uh, I'll read and you can follow along. Okay, so it says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. And dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And so all who have this hope in Him, they purify themselves just as He is pure. 
And everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. So no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin or keeps practicing sin has either seen him or known him. Dear children, don't let anyone lead you astray. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. And the one who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil's been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy that devil's work. So no one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in them and they cannot go on sinning because they've been born of God. And this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. So we're going to work our way through these 10 verses here out of 1 John 3. Last week we were in 1 John 4 looking at the love the Father has lavished on us. Right? To be loved by God, today we're going to look at what it means to be a child of God. So three things we'll note today as we progress through this message. And as always, if you'd like to follow along in your bulletin, you can. All right? You certainly do not have to. We will not collect those for grade today. All right, so number one here, God's children, they're going to be adopted into his family. Okay, God's children are adopted into his family. So let's back all this up here just a little bit. Let's work through everything that we've talked through so far real, real briefly. We've said that everybody on the planet has been created and fashioned by God. Created and fashioned are two very different things. Created means you've been made. Fashioned means you've been made with a purpose. Okay? So I started it so that it would continue. There's a work to be done. So we've been fashioned, created, fashioned. We've been crowned with glory and honor, which means we are the chief creation of God. Right? So when God looks at us as his creation, you know, we're the ones that people have said he had to get his hands on. Everything else he spoke into existence, but he had to put his hands on Adam. Right? He just couldn't keep himself away from us. We're just top dogs, so to speak. Right? So over all creation, humans rule. So we've been crowned with glory and honor. And as such, we're watched over and cared by God. Who is that for? That's for all people. And then we talked about how Jesus came and he gave his life and to extend forgiveness to all people. And last week we talked about how God's love is for whom? All people. For God so loved the world. Okay, so the point here is we've been created, fashioned, crowned, watched over, cared for, loved, extended forgiveness. Does all this make us children of God? Survey says? No. This stuff does not make us children of God. So here's, here's what, what you've got to see. Everybody's been created. Everybody's been fashioned. Everybody's been crowned. Everybody's been extended the opportunity to be forgiven. Everybody has been lavishly loved, but not everyone is a child of God. Right? And so that's what we're talking about here. To become a child of God, you have to be adopted into His family. It doesn't happen naturally. Just because Jordan's born into a Christian home whose dad's a pastor didn't make Jordan a Christian. Just because my girls live in a house with a, a husband and a wife who are Christians doesn't make them Christians. Okay? 
So just because God has extended this to everybody on the planet doesn't mean everybody will become a child. No, we've got to be adopted into his family. Now, what's necessary for there to be adoption? And some of you in this room know this far better than I do. It seems like when you go to adopt someone, payment is necessary, right? I don't know that you can adopt somebody, adopt a child without paying for that child. And so every day in this country and around the world, people literally lay down thousands of dollars to bring a child home. I mean thousands upon thousands of dollars. Some of these are like thirty-five dollars to $50,000 for a child. Plus the plane tickets. Plus the time wherever you're staying for a few weeks to get acclimated. Plus the ticket back. It's just, there's a lot of money involved. So people, they work second jobs and they work overtime and they have special offerings. And some people take out loans and they save up money just so they can lay down a payment on a counter somewhere and look a child in the eye and say, you're wanted. You're desired. You're loved. I want you to be my child. So to become adopted, there has to be a payment paid. Right? And if there's no payment, there's no adoption. And so we see this here. Let's go back to the text in verse 5. 1 John 3, verse 5. But you know that He, speaking of Jesus, He appeared that He might take away our sins. What would be another way of saying take away our sins? Okay, that's absolutely right. So if there was a counter that God was behind and for anybody to purchase us, somebody would have to come up to that counter and lay money down, Jesus walked up to that counter and He paid the price. He paid the payment so people could be offered the opportunity to be adopted. Does that make sense? And the payment here was His life. He gave His life to pay the price to take away our sins. So, how does this happen then, right? Because evidently I tricked some of you initially. So, if we are created, fashioned, crowned, extended love, forgiveness, but still not His children, how does it happen that we can become adopted? Payment's been made. Why aren't everybody, why aren't all people God's children? Well, let's read it here. The same guy that wrote 1 John 3, we're going to go back to his gospel. Right in the beginning, John 1, here's what he says. John 1 verse 9 begins, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, this is speaking of Jesus, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? To become children of God. Very good. Children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but children born of whom? Children born of God. Okay? So there's a process here. There's something that has to happen. So just because God has done all these things for all people doesn't make all people God's children. And so He's left it up to us. And here the text says a couple of things. One is we've got to receive Him. That is, acknowledge that He is God. Acknowledge that He did give His life and that He died and that He paid the price for sin. He was resurrected. And then to believe in Him as our Savior. And what God says is, I will grant you the right to become my child by receiving and believing in my Son. Now, something else that's necessary in adoption is an authority figure. 
And so often when children are adopted, they'll go to a court and there'll be a judge sitting there and what he or she determines whenever they drop the gavel, it's gospel, so to speak, right? So they've made a decision there and this is how it is. So someone has to, with authority, say, you have been adopted. Okay? And so here's the beauty of this. Whether you feel like it or not, whether you understand it or not, if you have received Jesus and believed in Him, the gavel has dropped and you are what? You're a child of God. You're a child of God. And so in this text here, I mean, it doesn't get any more plain, does it? See what love the Father has lavished on us so that we could be the children of God. And the very next words are, and that is what we are. What is my identity? Child of God. You won't find it any simpler in the Bible. What is your identity? If you've received Jesus, believed in Jesus, you are a child of God. Gavels dropped. Payments been received. You've been adopted. That is what we are. And so we see this again. Paul writes this to the Galatians. He says, When the set time had fully come, that is, when it was time for Jesus to walk the planet, when it was time for Him to minister and give His life, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem. Right? That word redeem is an accounting word. That's a, uh, that's a legal term. It's to buy back. It's to pay for. To put the payment down, those who are under the law, that we might receive what? Adoption. When the time had come, God gave His Son to give His life to pay the price so that we could be adopted, so that we could become sons and daughters. So because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That Spirit that calls out Abba Father. That word Abba, you know, is Dad or it's Daddy. It's very personal. It's endearing. It's our Spirit speaks to His Spirit. And so you are no longer a slave, but you are what? You are God's child. So God created all to be His children. Will all become God's children? No. No. There will be those who will not receive Him, who will not believe in Him. Though they have been lavishly loved, though they've been extended forgiveness, though they've been crowned with glory and honor, though they've been fashioned for a purpose, they will not become children of God. And so it's important to see you have to be adopted in. It's not natural. Children of God is an act of supernatural love, supernatural stepping towards those who believe. And so payment has been made. You know what that means? It means you're loved. It means you're welcomed. It means you are desired. It means you're wanted. Doesn't that feel good? And you could be having the roughest week ever, but to know that God took a step your direction when you and I would never step a step His direction, man, that kind of settles things. It's like the things that matter most in this world, God's taken care of. He's shown me great love. He's extended to me forgiveness that I don't deserve. And He's allowed me to become one of His children. Grant you the right to be a child of God by receiving and believing in His Son. And only God can do that, okay? And so I want you to think for a minute. What do you think it's like to be on the adopted end of things? I mean, some of you, you've had adopted children and you've got adopted grandchildren, things of that nature. Has there been a point where those who were adopted just kind of said, thank you? 
I've got some students who this past week told me that they were adopted. I didn't know that, just getting to know some of these students. But they always talk about how much they love their mom and dad and how thankful they are for them. And this young boy said, I, I don't have a clue who my real mom is, birth mom. But he's always talking about how much he loves his family. You know, so I just got to think that there's going to be a day, if there wasn't a day already, where that adopted son or daughter is going to look at the adopted parents and just say thank you. You know, I may not understand fully who, my, who I am as being adopted. I may not know all my background, but my identity is I've been adopted by you. You put down the payment to say that you wanted me, that you desired me. Thank you. I mean, don't you think that's how we're going to come before Jesus? And when you think of Jesus, don't think of just like some kind of out there cloud kind of universe kind of Jesus. Think of him of a person. Because he is a person. Think of this man, God-man in the flesh. You know, for me, I kind of picture it like being in a long line. And I'm just waiting my turn. You know, think of it this way. You ever been to the mall when children are getting their pictures made with Santa Claus? Now, I'm not trying to equate Jesus and Santa Claus here. I'm just saying think of the line. And those children are so excited. Some of them. Some of them are terrified. And they get up there and they want to sit in Santa's lap and they want to tell him everything they want for Christmas. You know, when I come into heaven and when, when I stand toe-to-toe with Jesus and face-to-face with Jesus, I don't think we're going to chest bump. I don't think we're going to fist bump. I don't think we're going to high-five. I don't think I'm going to throw him the peace sign. I don't think I'm just going to walk by and say, hey, thanks for letting me into heaven. You know, I think as I'm looking over the shoulder of the people who are in the line ahead of me, I'm going to be broken. As I watch them stand there and just kind of show you, it really is you. You know, and he's showing the hands and he's showing his feet. Nail-pierced hands, thorn-pierced brow, the side that was pierced also. Toe-to-toe with your Savior. Man, don't you know you just want to hug his neck and hold on forever, right? I'm adopted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for paying my price. Thank you for stepping my direction and showing me that you love me. Thank you for welcoming me into your family. You just want to stand there and, and hug him. And there were some missionaries who went to India and they were trying to get the local there, the natives, to translate this Bible text into their native language. And when they came to this portion, 1 John 3, verse 1, that says that we are children of God, the, native, the Indian people looked at the missionaries and said, no, no, no. no. Let's don't write that He has lavishly loved us and made us children. No, let's just write that we were welcomed enough to kiss His feet. So, man, that's, they're getting an understanding of, of who God is and what He has done, what He has extended, feeling unworthy and yet welcomed. Undeserving, and yet my price has been paid. You know, eternity is not time enough to say thank you for everything Jesus has done for us. One day you'll have that opportunity. So will I, toe-to-toe with Jesus. And it's my moment. What am I going to say? 
I can't put it into words. I wish you had been here Friday. We had a great time preaching in the back. I mean, it was just kind of a shouting ground day for me. Just reminding, being reminded of what it is to be a child of God. How thankful I am and how much He's paid for me so that I could be part of His family. I wasn't born into the family. But He made a way, didn't He? And He's adopted me. And if you've received and believed in Him, He's adopted you also. God's children are adopted. They're not naturally born. Alright, let's progress here. To know God's... Well, this should be here. To be God's children, not to know God's love. God's children are also people who are going to fight to be pure like Jesus. These are people who are going to fight to be pure like Jesus. And so we just said, I'm a child of God. That is who I am. You couldn't say anything more true of me. Right? So you could point out all my flaws, and then I could add to that list. Right? You could point out my weaknesses, and I could add to that list right? of, of my sins and of my struggles. But none of that would trump that I'm a child of God. And there's nothing any more true God would ever say over us than that we are His children. This is equally true as, as any other way that He identifies or defines us. And so for those who are in Christ, for those who've believed, received, there's also going to be this growing desire to be changed. This growing desire to become more and more like Christ. And so let's look at this here. Verse 2 and 3, back in 1 John chapter 3. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we be has not yet been made known. We don't know how this all ends, exactly what we're going to look like, what life's going to be like, how, who we're going to be. But what we know is this. When Christ appears, we'll be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So all who have this hope of seeing Jesus and of becoming like Him, while we wait, okay, all who have this hope, in Him, in him purify themselves just as He is pure. Now this word purify, it implies a couple things. One, if something's got to be purified, it implies that it is initially what? Alright, so it's impure here initially. And so for something to be purified, there's a couple things that have to take place. And I want to, um, I want to illustrate this for a minute. Anybody thirsty? Alright, I got something that will satisfy, quench your thirst right here. Seriously, anybody want to drink? <laughs> this is fresh water direct out of Horseshoe Lake. Freshly canned. <laughs> All right, would anybody drink this water? No. Okay. Now, if you were desperately thirsty, you might just take a chance, right? People are all around the world do that very thing and they get diseases and they die. But for us here today, we would look at this and say, no, I'm not going to drink that. I mean, there's stuff swirling in here. And honestly, all I did was dip it in and pull it out, and this is what came out, okay? So we kind of know what goes on over here. We know there's animals in there. There's been people in and out of it, boats, all kinds of stuff. So it's just kind of nasty water. It's not something we necessarily want to ingest. But what if, all right, so I'll take the lid off this one. What if I took this water... And I took this water right here and I poured it in here. Let's see here. This is, this is uh, H2O purified drinking water. Would you drink this one? Okay. Now, what if we did like this? 
and switch that. Now would you drink this one? No, it didn't help it any. Why didn't it help it? What did it not do? Okay, so it didn't take away the impurity. Okay? When we add something pure to something that's impure, it doesn't just trump it. So there's two things that have to happen for something to become pure. The impurity has to be removed, and then in its place now, we're going to put this stuff that is pure. And so here in our text, it said, purify yourself. It didn't say sit around and wait for Jesus to purify you. Okay, so he cleanses us from our sins, but we've got a role to play here in in dying to sin, in dying to temptation, in dying to these things that uh, seek to displease God. So, two roles and two parts. Yes, receive and believe and you'll be forgiven. But we've also got to do our part to remove those things that make us impure. Just because we add pure to impure doesn't make the impure pure. And so the only way this happens is that Christ has to work in us. This work of evil and sin has to be destroyed. And so John talks a lot about this. But here's what he says about Jesus. Verse 8, 1 John 3. The reason the Son of God appeared was why? What was he coming to do? To destroy the devil's work. Right? And so he came in power to give his life and defeat death and be resurrected so that we could have power and be empowered to fight sin, to fight against temptation, to stay away from those things that are impure. Okay? So we've got a role to play here. We've got a part to play. And so he destroyed the power of sin so that you and I could be empowered to stay away from it and to seek and be pure just as he is pure. And so for this to happen, it's a fight. Isn't it? I mean, how easily are we drawn into things that are impure? We are. And we can be drawn into conversation that is critical of other people. You know, if I mention somebody's name here, either one of our presidential candidates, it wouldn't take long before this would spin out into some ugly conversation. Well, she's a... And you, you hear what he said this week? Or what came out about what he said years ago, just this week? Right? We find ourselves easily drawn into things that are critical of other people. doesn't mean we can't acknowledge what they're saying is true and deal with that. But we've got to do this in a way that's pure in a way that's God-honoring. And so we're drawn to that. But we can be drawn to things that are unholy, whatever. You, or your eyes can be on something like a, a new car, or a new house, or maybe a person, or a relationship, right? where we can just be lured into that and begin to have thoughts about things that are just not pure and holy. It's, it's a fight to battle against things that are impure. And it's a fight to battle for our holiness here. And so he says, knowing that you have a hope in Jesus while you remain here, those with hope, purify yourselves as he is pure. I love the fact that the Bible preserved for us the truth that Jesus came, appeared to destroy the work of the devil. He came to destroy the work of the devil in your heart, in my heart, in your mind, in my mind, in our lives. And he's empowering us to fight. He's empowering us to battle. See, Jesus believes we can be pure, and this is why he writes 
And this is why he shared with his disciples. We know this as the Beatitudes. This was just a conversation between Jesus and his disciples. Here's what he said. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why are they blessed? These are the ones who are going to see God. And see, we live in a culture now, in a Christian culture, where people say, I love Jesus, but I also love my sin. And it's okay that I sin. It's not a big deal. And I say, you haven't read the Bible lately. You're not perfect. But to say, I love Jesus and it's okay for me to indulge in sin is heresy. Because that is not what the Bible teaches. Blessed are the pure in heart. Strive after things that are holy. Purify yourself. Paul writes elsewhere, mortify your flesh. Put it to death so that you and I can strive after things that are God-honoring. So to be God's child... The price has been paid to be adopted. Uh, sin has been defeated. And we've been empowered to battle and fight well. Okay, so that's what it looks like to be a child of God. Apart from that, we continually succumb to sin and temptation. Uh, but then third and last here this morning, as we think about being God's children, we are identifiable by how we live. We are identifiable by how we live. And so remember the whole, not the whole, but part of the premise of this whole series was let's get to know who God is. Let's better understand who we are in Him. What does He say about us? But then how does that affect how we go out and live? Okay? So it'd be one thing to sit in here and have an all warm, fuzzy feeling because Jesus accepted me and adopted me and paid the price for me and God fought for me so I could be empowered to battle sin. That all sounds good for me, but what else is this supposed to work in me? Here we're going to see that the children of God are identifiable by how they live. You know, when Jordan lost his identity, what happened? Remember that video we watched here about 20 minutes ago, 25 minutes ago? Jordan said, when Jordan didn't know who Jordan was anymore, then his life spun out of control. And he got addicted to Oxycontin, and that wasn't enough. And so he started injecting drugs through a needle, and he started snorting this stuff, and started playing around in all sorts of worlds. And it led him to a point where he tried to take his own life. All of that because Jordan didn't know who Jordan was. All right? When we don't know who we are, man, it creates all kinds of havoc for ourselves and for others. We live in ways that we've not been created to live, even in good ways. We can be a good husband and a good father and a good neighbor and a good worker and be totally displeasing to God. It's about pursuing God and His work and not necessarily being just good. So Jordan didn't know who he was and it had a devastating effect. However, when we know who we are and who God says we are, then that propels us in how we've been created to live. And so let's read it. Verse 10 here. This is how we know. Okay? I stated this would be the simplest text that we'll come across as far as identifying who we are. You're the children of God. That's just as simple as it says. This is how we know, children of God. It's pretty simple. The children of God or the children of the devil. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. Okay, so we could flip that over. That would be children of the devil. Children of God would be anyone who does what is right and those who love their brother and sister. And John's going to go on to write about both of those things, doing right and loving your brother, loving your sister. And so we're identifiable by how we live, right? 
because of what He's doing in me, and because I've been accepted and adopted, I'm part of His family. That's the transformative work inside. Now what's going on outside is that I'm living like that change. So here's the deal. You don't ever have to remind yourself to be a Christian. Because the children of God have a work going on within them that propels them to live like Christ. And so if I have a checklist that says, do this, 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 this today, if I have to remind myself, I'm really trying to play the role of the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying it's wrong to have reminders. Maybe you know you've got a conversation coming up that's not going to be very, or it could be very tense. God, remind me to be patient. Remind me to listen. Remind me not just to jump to conclusions. Remind me to take this to heart. But all the while, remembering that it's the work of God in us. See, where there's transformation going on inside, it'll be shown on the outside. We're identifiable. Well, you know my mom and dad, but if I were to walk into a room and people didn't know my mom and dad, and my mom and dad started talking and I started talking alongside them, you know what you could do pretty quickly? You could come to the conclusion, he's their son. Right? Why? Because there's ways that I speak, ways I use my hands, the ways that I walk, the ways that I, how I look. All these things you'd go, well, he's got to be their son because he resembles them. And I've never met them before is what they would say. That's how the world is to look at us. Right? That's how the world is to look at us. I've never met them. I don't know them very well. But I, I can pay attention to their life. They're identifiable. They're a child of God. Whether they believe in God or not. You know, I see, I see the joy in their eyes. I see the kindness in their heart. I, I see the, the compassion towards other people. You know, I, I see them taking time, investing in things that matter. Loving their spouse. Trying to train their children. I listen to how they don't talk. Words they don't say. I see how their attitudes and reactions are different than how I would react in that situation. Right? We're identifiable. And so as a child of God, not only is He working in us, for us, but He's working through us to help other people know that there's a God who has created them, fashioned them, crowned them, who lavishly loves them, who's extended forgiveness to them so that they also could become a child of God. Right? And that's what it is to be a child. That's your identity. We could talk about all sorts of things as it relates to being a child, but from 1 John 3, that's what it is. That is who you are. You've been adopted. All right? That's who we are here. We're identifiable. That's who we are. We're people who fight for purity. All right? We're people who fight for purity. So I want you to think about these things as we begin to close here this morning. You know, God's extended a... An intense amount of love. He's agape us, is what we said last week. We've done nothing His direction. He's done everything for us, even when we'd spit in His face. Spit in His face, He says, and I love you. And I'd still pay the price for you, and I have. Right? That's the kind of love that we are loved by. And He's extended that to us. He's extended that to all people to make this a reality, to become His child. And so what I want to ask you initially is this. Are you a child of God? And John was really clear about this, wasn't he? First John, or John 1, 9 through 13 told us, those who receive and believe in the Son 
God grants them the right to become His children. There's no other way to be adopted. So maybe for you today, you would just like to do that very thing. I receive that Jesus is the Son of God, and I believe that He paid the price for my sin so I could be adopted and become a child of God. You could pray and ask God to save you from your sin today, and He would love to do so, and we'd love to partner with you in that. And maybe you'd say you are God's child. What I wonder is, are you fighting to be pure? Are you fighting to be pure, or have you just resolved that you're as good as you get? I'm not asking you, can you get more knowledge? I'm asking you, are you desperately wanting to be changed more because you need to be? Because I need to be. We haven't peaked. And the best is yet to come. So are we still asking God to change us? Or are we just relying on my personality? That's just who I am and I can't get over it so you're going to have to get over me. What a sorry attitude. That's not identifiable as Christ-likeness. Maybe today you just say, God, humble me and help me become more like you. I just, I need to get to the end of myself here. Maybe you're struggling with a sin or a temptation. The word to you today as a child of God is, God battled for you, and He defeated the power of sin for you so that you could become pure. So maybe today you need to trust in His power as you seek to battle. Or just think about how you're identifiable. You know, there this morning you were given a little name card, and it says, hello, my name is. Right? What would you write in that blank as it relates to what matters most about your identity? Hello, my name is. What would you put in there? I want to encourage you to put it in there. Remind yourself, this is what God says over me. Put a date by it. This is who God says I am. Maybe even wear it. When you go out, if you go out and eat or you ate with some family or friends or you go home today and see a spouse or whatever, you'd say, they'd say, what's that mean? Well, let me tell you. This is what it means for me to be a child of God. Now, who knows, maybe God will lead that to a conversation for them to become a child of God as well.